Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, that whatever befalls our heart, whatever befalls of our life, you are our ruler. Lord, that you would continue to be our vision, that you would continue to be our rampart. Lord, when the seas and the storms rage about us, And the world says, throw out your God and throw out your Bible and throw out your beliefs. That, Lord, we would stand fast. We would stand solid. Lord, we know that the Bible says that in the last days, Lord, that the world will persecute Christians thinking that they are doing the world and humanity a favor. But, Lord, we will stand solid for nothing matters more than you. Nothing matters more than our relationship with you. Nothing matters more than knowing that the Holy Spirit can work in and through us, despite our circumstances, despite our thoughts, despite who we think we are, Lord. Your Holy Spirit is more powerful than what the world can bring. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than any thought that can be brought to our minds. The Holy Spirit can turn us, and that you, Lord, would be our vision and our thought by day or by night. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may have heard, some of you may have heard uh, the news, those of you that attend Grandview may have heard that Kathy Keller's son passed away last night um, in an automobile accident unexpectedly. Um, I know that it is difficult to lose someone unexpectedly, and I want to, we're going to offer up a congregational prayer for them. I'm going to pray for all of us, and I just want everybody to agree, but before I pray, I want to read a scripture that comes to mind every time I, I hear is a scripture that consoled my soul when my cousin died in an automobile accident um, nearly 15 years ago. The Lord, as I was reading and going through my morning in grief, this just popped off the page and it has stayed with me since. It's Psalms 116. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. And the scripture tells us, not just here, but over and over again in places that God feels the pain of our loss. How well does he feel it? Well, he feels it well enough that 2,000 years ago, he felt the pain. Never think that when we lose a loved one, that we're standing by ourselves in our pain. God has experienced it himself and knows full well what you're going through. And we may never understand it in this life. But I can assure you this, that the Bible says that the joys of heaven cause you to just be like, I don't know what that life was, but I'm ready for this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for Kathy and her family. Lord, it's, it's difficult to lose a loved one, but Lord, when they... We know that they are following you and, and chasing you, Lord. In some ways, perhaps we're jealous. But God, I just ask that you would be with them today going forward. I ask that you would move in their hearts and in their lives, that the Holy Spirit would flood them. Jesus, you said that you would send the comforter, comforter, the Holy Spirit that would comfort us. And Lord, I just pray that you would surround them with your love right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to start a new series. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I think that it's important that we all get grounded in the basics. You guys look really like, whoa, today. Are you, are you all good? We, we, we okay? All right, you guys are like, oh. Look, I'm the one that went to Kings Island yesterday in 95 degree heat, masked up all day walking around, and I woke up this morning fine. So I don't know what you did, but I woke up feeling fine and good. The Bible says that I was excited when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Right? Okay. 
Do you believe that what we're doing here today is more important than a piece of pigskin crossing a chalk line on grass or turf? Is it more important? Is it more important than whacking a ball over a fence? Is it more important than being a part of some spectacular play on stage? Is there anything more exciting than Jesus? Then that, well, that was, you got that part down. Then act like it. Let's act like it today. Let's be excited. Today we're going to start basics. The basics. And I can't think of a better place to start than salvation. Right? That day, that moment in your life where you come to God and like, God, I don't have the answers here. I need help. I need help. I know what I thought I was, and I know who I think I am, but your Bible says something completely different, and I know that I will never attain it or never get to it because I can't control myself. Anybody ever have those moments where you're just out of control? Anybody? Yes. It was funny, on, on, on social media, somebody posted, um, you were in a car probably in high school, this is what they said, I think of something like this, you were probably in a car in high school, and you thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to die in that car ride, and they said, which friend was driving the car? Oh, me, is what I put. <laughs> me, I was driving the car. You know, I was the one driving like a maniac, and we all do these things in our lives where we let certain things in our lives spin out of control that are contrary to the word of God, and so the Bible says that that desire is what nailed Jesus to the cross. That desire is what caused him to be whipped 39 times with the skin hanging off his back. And I don't want to get vivid, but I want to be real. I don't want to be gross, but I, I need to, I just got to keep it real up in here. That it says that the Bible says he didn't even look human. He was beat so bad. Skin hanging off his back, rib cage exposed, muscles hanging out. It wasn't pretty and yet our desire to do our own thing and to be the way we want to be and say what we want to say and give that person a piece of our mind when the Bible says no all of those things that we think that we are is what caused that to happen and when you realize that I'm the one at fault and you say okay it's either my way or his way it's that point of salvation where you say, God, I am sorry. I can't do this on my own. And then Josh and I were here, not this past week, but the week before last, and we were going through some historical things regarding Grandview and just looking at the history of Grandview. And, you know, it's a storied history, and it seems like the one thing that just keeps coming out over and over and over is bringing people to Jesus. Right? The first building was built in 1882. Two years later, in 1884, they had a revival in which 40 people came to Christ. Now, in 1884, this area looks nothing like it does today. And so for 40 people to come to Christ in a revival in 1884 is huge. I mean, that's big. That would be equivalent to basically seeing one Sunday, basically seeing almost 100 to 120 people come to Christ on one Sunday. Think about that. I would love to sit in this baptismal all Sunday morning and not have to preach and just be like, bam, next, bam, next, bam, next, bam. You get it? That would be awesome. I would so not, and you wouldn't have to listen to me. Wouldn't that wonderful? Like, just sit up there, right? One after another. I believe in my heart, that that day can come. Amen. I believe in my heart that that can happen. I believe in my heart of hearts that if we live on mission and live on purpose, we can see that day coming. Yes. We can see that happen. We can see hundreds of people come to Christ. Salvation. You know, I usually don't go with notes. I usually just go with notes in my Bible. But today I've got so many Bible verses that you're just going to have to Bear with me, but if you got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 21, verse 3. Hebrews 20, I'm sorry, not 21. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Hebrew, helps if, what good are notes if I can't read them, right? Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, 
so that we do not drift away. Keep that phrase, drift away, in your mind. We're going to come back to it. Next verse. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every uh, violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, if we back up to verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says that we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The word drift away is a sailing term, and it literally means to begin to slowly drift away from a central point. Do I have anybody in here with boats? Let me see your hand. We got some people in here with boats, right? And you know that if you've ever been on a boat, you can, you can throw the anchor down, but the current is going to take you away from the anchor, right? If you tie your boat to the dock and then untie it, what's going to happen to your boat? The boat's going to drift away slowly, a little bit, over time, maybe so slowly that you don't even recognize it. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he says, if we're not careful, we will begin to slowly drift away and we won't even recognize that we've drifted. We won't even recognize that our faith has become pulled away from that which is the anchor. What's the anchor? The anchor is the word of God. It's scripture. And so what's he say then? He goes on in verse 2 and he says, For since the message was spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the message was delivered by angels and prophets and kings. He says, he says that the message in the Old Testament was delivered by angels. And then he says in verse 3, he's, um, he goes on uh, in verse 2, through angels and was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. He said, listen, every violation of God's law receives its just punishment in due time. And then in verse 3, how shall we escape? How are you going to escape the eyes and the judgment of God if you choose to go your own way? Well, it's inferred. You can't. You, can't escape. you cannot escape the eyes and the judgment of God. You can't, right? And so how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And then what's he say? He says, this salvation. Now he's not talking about the Old Testament anymore. He's talking about the New Testament and the salvation that Christ offers in the New Testament. He's transitioning. In the Old Testament, it was the angels guiding, directing, leading, speaking to people. But now something better has happened because of Christ. Because Jesus came and died for us and came back from the grave. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, I must go away so that I can send the comforter. And, so, and he says, I must go so that he can come. And he won't just be on you like he was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he moved on Moses. In the Old Testament, he moved on Elijah. He moved on. He, they, he, the Bible says in the Old Testament that he came on them and then moved them. But Jesus says, no, but the veil in the temple is torn now. When you believe in me, the Holy Spirit no longer comes on you and moves you. The Holy Spirit now actually comes inside of you and begins to live through you. It's one, it, it's one thing to have water on the outside of you. It's a whole different thing to have water on the inside, right? The water on the inside is going to keep me living. But if the water never gets from the outside to the inside, I'll die. 
And this is exactly what he's talking about. He says, guys, in the Old Testament, angels moved on. The angels moved them. They moved. But in the New Testament, because of Jesus Christ, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, now the Holy Spirit can get on the inside and bring life. And now we don't have to just read about Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and Moses doing these things, you know, popping up once every so many years and doing it because the Holy Spirit's moving on them every so many years. Now you can live like that daily. If you tap into the life source and begin to obey it and walk in it and through it, you can live like this. This is salvation. He sends the Holy Spirit for us. And so he makes a very clear distinction, the writer of Hebrews does. He says, there's the Old Testament way of doing things, and there's a New Testament way of doing things. I can be moved by and the Holy Spirit can come on me and move me, or I can let him get inside of me and bring true life and true salvation, and I can every single day get up, okay, say, okay, God, what do you got? Before my feet ever hit the floor, thank you, Jesus, for this day. I can't wait to see how you're going to use me to touch somebody's life today. Before you ever put your feet on the floor, because now the Holy Spirit isn't moving on you like he did on Moses. He's moving in you, changing you, changing who you are. This is salvation, if you got your Bibles or your devices, and you turned, we're going to flip through our Bibles a lot today because, again, we're getting into the basics, 101, Christianity 101 for the next few weeks. Salvation is today. And so in Romans chapter 10, if you ever just want some good theology, just study the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, Let's, let's just stop for a minute. Keep that up there. The word Lord simply means master, ruler, controller. You're in charge. The word Lord means the one in charge. You're in charge of my life. You're in charge of my thoughts. You're in charge of everything, right? Jesus, you're in charge of everything that goes through here. You're in charge of everything that goes through here. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Let's back up. The word declare with your mouth is the Greek word homologesis, H-O-M-O, L-O-G-E-S-E-S. It's two words, homo meaning the same, right, similar, same. Legesis, legesis means to say. I'm sorry, not low Jesus. Low Jesus. Almost sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? (laughs) Anyway, Jesus is his Greek name, but we won't get into that. So low Jesus, it means to say, and then homo is the same. It means to say, if you with your mouth say the same thing that God is saying of you, then you will be saved. See, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to the everlasting life through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. I want you to be saved. I want you into the kingdom. Now, I'm inviting you to say the same thing that I'm saying. Are you willing to say it? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I am coming to you. I am saying over my life what you want to say over my life. Speaking simply affirms what you believe. When you say it out of your, what did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't have to be around you long. I find out what's in your heart. Because what's down in here will come out. It's inevitable. It will come out. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. Because it's in here. It's in here. It will come out. Something perverted comes out of your mouth. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, you did because it's in here. A lie comes out? Yes, you did. It's in here. And what the Bible says, the Bible says at the point of salvation, he regenerates this heart of ours and gives us a new heart, right? And the Holy Spirit comes in and he regenerates this. And then what's the book of Romans says? It says then you have to start renewing your mind, right? He changes this, but this is the battleground. This is where the fight, this is where the fight is. Because then you have to start renewing your mind. You have to start saying the same thing about your life that Jesus and his word says about your life. But I don't agree with it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, doesn't matter. You start saying it. You start speaking it. You start throwing yourself into it. And before long, you begin to make this shift over time. Right? You begin. And so 
The word believe is the Greek word pistis. It's actually the Greek word for faith. If you believe in your heart. It's not just believing like I believe, I really believe that um, quick draw McGraw cartoons are funny. Some of you are like, who in the world is quick draw McGraw? Right? I, and others of you are like laughing like, man, I haven't seen that forever. Okay? What was his little sidekick, by the way? A little Boba Louie? Oh, my gosh. That was impressive. <laughs> Remind me, if I ever get on Jeopardy or something, I have a life, some game show with a lifeline. I will. You're my lifeline. Okay. So... Like, I believe Quick Draw McGraw is funny, but it doesn't impact my life. That's not this word believe. This word believe is the same belief that you have in the chair you're sitting in. Did you think twice about that chair when you sat down? You say, oh, I don't know if this metal and this, this piece of metal will hold me up. No, you just sat. Why? Because you believed it. When you believe something, you take action on it, and you choose you choose where to place your belief. You can place your belief in anything you want because you have a free will to say, you know what, I'm going to believe this and not that. I'm going to believe whatever. And then what happens when you believe it, then you start finding data and statistics. You start finding stuff to confirm what you believe. But there's only one thing that's going to get you through life and into the next life. You've only got one shot with this thing called belief. And so everybody believes it's just a matter of what you believe. And I know what you believe because it will come out of your mouth, Jesus says. And so the Bible says that if we want to be saved, then we must declare Jesus as Lord. Jesus, you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of everything. My thoughts, my actions, my will, my emotions. If I have an emotion or a feeling that doesn't line up to the word of God, then I get into the Bible and find out why am I feeling like this. The Bible says I'm not supposed to say or think or be like this. I got to go to the word of God to see what's going on. And then ask God, God, I need help because clearly my sin nature, my will wants to do something different because we all are sinners having gone astray. Ephesians 2.3 tells us that we are sinners by nature. We are born into sin. We are sinners. What sin mean? It simply means miss the mark with God. We will miss the mark with God doing our own thing. It's inevitable. And the Bible says then, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll stop there. But if I go to the little, we used to have these things growing up in the 80s, and I didn't have them, but my sister did. These little things they get called pound puppies, Right? My wife just went, yes. <laughs> now, if I remember, if I remember the car, not the cartoons, but the commercials right, it was like, save the pound puppies. Get your own pound puppy from the pound and save them. Like you were supposed to rescue this stuffed, floppy animal. And <laughs> when you save, <laughs> why am I using pound puppies? When you save something, there's two things that are happening, and, you, and it's inherent in the word save, but we don't think about it. You're saving them from something, and you're saving them to something. It's inherent. You can't say, I'm saving you from the fire, right? I'm a chaplain for the uh, Stony Creek Lapel Fire Territory, and I had to make sure I get that right. I can't just say fire department. So... <laughs> you got me in the back, bro. <laughs> so, when we save somebody, we're saving them from death to life in a physical sense. We're saving, saving them from death to life in a very real physical sense. Whenever you save something, you're saving it from and to. So, the next few minutes, we're going to look at what is Jesus saving us from? And then let's talk about what's he saving us to. And like God, people have asked me all the time, what do you think God's purpose is with COVID? I said, well, I can tell you what I think God's purpose is, but I can tell you this, my brain is finite. 
And while I might see three purposes in COVID, God will see a million purposes with COVID. See, we think what's God's purpose singular? Mm-mm. God's brain is infinite. His, I don't even know that he, I don't know, I don't know. But his mind, the way he thinks, is infinite. I could see that he's really finding out who's really committed to his church or not. I could see that he's using it to bring people to himself. I could see that he's using it to speed or escalate towards end-time prophecy. I could see all sorts of purposes, but he, for every purpose I see, he will see a billion more. Right? So when I begin to talk about what he's saving us from, understand that there's probably everything that I'm going to tell you he's saving you from, there's probably another billion that he's saving us from. And everything that I'm, he's saving us to, there's probably a billion more for everyone that I mention because he's infinite. So the first thing that he saves us from is sin, the sin of disbelief, the sin of not believing. Because the point of salvation says, God, I believe in you. I don't believe in myself anymore. I don't believe in the world and what they tell me. I don't believe in myself. I don't believe in the lies the enemy tells me. I believe solely in you. And I don't know what that looks like, but I trust you. The sin of disbelief, you'll find that if you're taking notes. I'm going to give you a lot of verses. This is going to be, <laughs> you guys figured out. Yeah, this is more teaching than preaching. John chapter 3, verse 18, and John chapter 3, verse 36. He saves us from the sin of disbelief. Your disbelief in Jesus is another thing that nailed him to that cross. The sin of disbelief. If you haven't figured it out, the next thing that he saves us from is from ourselves. Anybody ever need saved yourself? Like, yeah, I need saved from me. It ain't, look, I get saved, I'm going to talk about this in a second. I get saved, I'm not just saved from going to hell. That, I, I need to be saved from myself. I need to be saved from my thoughts. I need to be saved from my emotions. I need to be saved from me. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 3, like I said earlier, we are inherently sinful. We will sin and send ourselves to eternal damnation. It's, it's inherent in us thanks to, way back in the garden, Adam and Eve, who said, yeah, I know what he said, but man, that looks really good. Anybody ever done that before? <laughs> the spirit of Adam and Eve live on, right? <laughs> man, that'd be a good movie. All right, anyway. He saves us from ourselves, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Romans chapter 6, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. I'm just going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen. That's okay. Um, but Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We know... That our old self, who's the old self? Tyson before he was saved. Tyson before he was saved wasn't pretty. Tyson before he was saved had problems, had issues, right? Tyson before he was saved was full of pride and arrogance and he knew it all and you couldn't tell him anything. Tyson before he was saved wouldn't pick up the phone to order pizza because he didn't want to talk to the idiot on the other line. And so he would, he, sir, honey, how, how long did it take for God to work that out of me? I was saved when we got married, and I still wouldn't pick up the phone because I didn't want to talk to the guy. Now look at me. I'm a pastor, and I talk to people all the time. I mean, it's just, it's amazing what God, how God completely changes your character and your thoughts and your attitude. And so he says that our old self is saved. Our old self is crucified, he says. Your, your old self is on the cross. Your new self came out of the grave. And when you begin to identify with the self that comes out of the grave, you can walk away from the cross going, that thing is nailed and done and it is dead. Amen. And people can kick it and spit on it and stick it in its spear in its side and it doesn't matter because it's dead. Yes. Now, does that mean the Bible says that when, you, when the old man dies, does that mean that lust has died? No, lust didn't die. Did pride die? Pride didn't die. They're still around. They're still alive. You died to it. When, when someone has, let's say if someone has three or four tickets, driving tickets on their record, I wouldn't know anything about that because mine tend to come off and then I get pulled right... 
like they come off like what, every once every five years or whatever? It seems like, bam, I get it. As soon as it's off my record, I get another one. It's like they're just waiting. Okay, it's off his record. Pull him over again. Like they got to keep me right on the, anyway. So if someone dies and they have, uh, say, a credit card loan, a house loan, and three tickets, are the tickets and the loans, are they dead? No, they still exist. But you are dead to them. And they can't come collect. And so lust can't come collect. Evil thoughts can't come collect. You can't, you're dead to it, but they will come back because they're still alive. But you're like, no, I'm dead to you. I don't exist to you. That, part, that, that old me is crucified and dead. I have a new life coming out of the grave headed towards heaven on a mission. Right? And so I am dead to myself. The next thing that he saves us from is vanity. Just write this down, vanity. Psalm chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He saves us from vanity. Do you know what vanity is? We have, we have two words for it in today's society. Social media. Vanity, social media. Look at my life, look at me, look at whatever. And all I want you to see is the good part. I don't want you to see me laying in bed crying my eyes out because I'm severely depressed or the suicide I just thought about the other day. I don't want you to see any of that. So I'm just going to portray what life, I think life should look like. Vanity. You ever, you know, when you go to a a high school play, they have like a set and it looks real, but do you ever walk behind the set? Okay, shocker for some of you. It's not really anything. It's just two by fours. Don't tell them I told you that. It looks real, but it's not. Vanity. Vanity. The next thing that he saves us from, Psalms chapter 11, verse 5, violence. Violence. Psalm 11, verse 5. He saves us from violent. We are inherently violent. Not just in a physical sense, we are violent in a mental sense as well. You know how I know? Let somebody ride your tail going down the road. You will inherently begin to get violent in your head with that person. And sometimes I act it out. I tap on my brakes just to see how they'll respond. Because, you know, if they hit you from behind, it's their fault. Anybody? Right? You think I'm kidding. Your pastor has still battled sin. All right? I'm human. I still battle sin. All right, violence. The next thing he saves us from is evil. Evil. He saves us from evil. Psalm 52, verse 3. This isn't, evil is not, let's be clear. I think we can all agree the Hitlers, the Jeffrey Dahmers, Charles Manson. That's clearly evil, right? But the evil that we're talking about here is not the the extreme evil. The evil that we're talking about here is just inherently like, mm, I'm just going to, mm, if I could just, mm, I don't even want to say, just, mm. <laughs> Anybody ever feel that? Okay, yeah. Like, you're shaking your head, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's that part of you just, mm, I'm just going to, mm. <laughs> See, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> right, thank you. This is evil. And the Bible says that Jesus even said this. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You know what salt does? It preserves. And the Bible says this, that in the last days, now I happen to be, so some of you are just going to throw your Bibles at me and start quoting scripture when you walk out the door. I happen to be pre-trib. I believe in the rapture. We'll talk about that. Coming up in the coming months, I'm going to do a whole series on end times. But the Bible says that when we, in 1 Thessalonians, when we who believe in Jesus are taken off the earth, the Holy Spirit, we are the ones that's preventing this earth from descending, spiraling into absolute chaos. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you're the salt. You preserve this earth. The followers of Jesus are preserving this earth. And when they are removed from the earth, earth is going to rot quicker than milk that sat out overnight. And believe me, I got two boys at home. (laughs) It rots quick. All right? I love them. They know it. Right? So 
we are to preserve the earth. And so by being saved, he is preventing evil from totally just spreading out across the earth. What else does he save us from? Well, we know lie. He saves us from lying, Proverbs 1.22. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Lord hates, and hates, hate is a strong word, but the Bible says that God hates lying lips. He does not, now hear me closely, he does not hate the liar, he does not hate the individual, he hates the action of lying. He absolutely despises it. Another thing that the Bible says that God hates is pride. The Bible says that God absolutely despises. In fact, the Bible says that he even set, God even sets himself up to go against pride. And so when we act in pride, it literally means you have just declared yourself an enemy of God, and God says, game on. I'll fight you. But understand this, God's fight isn't destruction. God's fight is love. And some of the greatest, the Bible says that, in Romans it says that vengeance is mine, right? But God says, you let me get revenge. Here's the most amazing revenge. This is the way God works. God doesn't get revenge and like strike him with lightning and whack him over the head with a baseball bat. That's not how God gets revenge. God brings them to a point of salvation. And then they accept Jesus. And now the person that was against you is now on your side and in your family going to heaven with you. And then you got to work on your own heart and be like, man, God, why did you have to save them? That's not what I, that's not what I thought you meant when his vengeance is mine. I'll repay, right? But again, God is love. And so because God is love, he gets to define love and he uses his love to bring people into the kingdom because he doesn't want anyone to perish. And so, how did I go from lying clear into that? But anyway, lying, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. And then the last one that I want to talk about of what he saves us from is probably the obvious, but I want to explain something a little bit about this. So the last one that he saves us from is hell. Eternal damnation, eternal punishment. The Bible says that in hell, there's, again, I want to keep it real because we don't talk a lot about this in church anymore. The Bible's very clear. Hell is not fun. You will be reminded in hell of every negative thought you've ever had. That's all you will have a thought of. In hell, it says that you will constantly burn. You will feel like you're on fire, constantly burning. The Bible says that also that you will feel like you have maggots and worms crawling all over your body perpetually. Okay? This is not a, hell is not a fun place. I do not get to go with my buddies and part. Well, at least I'll be with my buddies in hell partying. No, you won't, because part of the punishment is knowing your buddies are also down there, but you can't see them because it's complete isolation. You think you've been quarantined in March and April? I had to think March, March April, right? You have no idea what hell is like. None. None. Absolutely none. There is no positive thought in hell. It is absolute mental and physical and spiritual torture. Why? Because hell is a place of death. Death means separation. What are you separated from? Life. Well, who is life? Jesus. It's total separation. Do you realize that the only reason you, we can live right now is because we have the presence of God on the planet? God is life. And even in that life, we can still reject him. That there is no... And then I get asked this. Maybe you've heard of this. Well, if God's so, lo God's so loving, he would never condemn somebody for eternity in hell. That's just not, that doesn't make any sense. I, in our logic, it does. But you're thinking about earth. You're thinking about time. When you sin against God, when you reject God, let me back up. If someone murders somebody on earth, the average murder takes five seconds. Statistically, look it up, Google it, I don't care. The average, the average murder takes five seconds. So we are going to commit somebody for life over five seconds. If we want to, if we want to use that logic, 
the amount of time and the crime. If you use that logic, then how many five seconds are in a lifetime? I don't know. It's just a lot, right? But the average murder is five seconds. You see where I'm going with this. But yet you're going to condemn them for their life? Unless murder is so egregious, why is murder so egregious? Because you've destroyed an image of God because every human being is made in God's likeness. They might reject God, they might hate God, they might be an atheist, but they are still made in God's image. And the reason that murder is so abominable is because you just destroyed someone who's made in the image of God. Now, let's go a little further. The crime of murder is five seconds. That is a crime committed in time, in space and time. The rejection of God, sin, the absolute rejection of God is not a crime committed in time. It's an eternal crime. And it's not just a crime against yourself. It's an actual crime against God. And it's an eternal crime. And the eternal crime deserves eternal punishment. Because it's eternity. There's no time involved. I know I got really deep for some of you. Some of you are like, man, would you please just get back to <laughs> But others of you are like, oh, I never thought about that. You see, sin against God is an eternal crime, which in turn demands eternal punishment. And let me say something else. God's not the one that sends in. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves. Because the Bible says that no one is without an excuse because nature declares his handiwork. Nature declares the glory of God. Nature declares God. No one's without an excuse. And so when I look at nature, I go, okay, wait a minute. It's like, it's like stumbling upon a watch in the woods. I do a lot of hiking. If I'm hiking and I see a watch on the trail, I don't go, wow, I wonder what deer made that watch. You know, that's ridiculous. I don't say, oh, wow, nature grew a watch on the trail. No, it's too intricate. It's too well designed. It's too, I know there has to be a human, something intelligent that made that. And so Romans tells us that if you look out here, you can tell that something had to design this. God says you're without excuse. And so hell is, hell is an eternal punishment for an eternal crime that you commit because God's not willing that anybody should perish. And he, you have to literally, deliberately say, nope, don't believe it, I'm going to go my own way. You have to be, like, totally be deliberate about that. And I believe that we as Christians should be so concerned about our neighbors facing that kind of eternal punishment that it moves us to say, hey, let's go have coffee. Let's go sit down and talk. We got to take, we have an issue. Because what if you had cancer and your doctor never told you? It's the same thing, but it's far worse than cancer. It's our job. We have a response. Do you know why God saves you and just doesn't take you right to heaven? Because there are billions of people on this planet that need to hear the gospel. And it's our responsibility. He says, listen, you need to be about, same thing Jesus said, I need to be about my father's business. You need to be about your father's business. You have the same responsibility of Jesus to go out and share the good news of the gospel. So that's, what he, that's some of what he saves us from. But let's wrap it up this morning with what does he save us to? Now this is the part where you get to amen and start feeling much better than what I just talked about. <laughs> okay. What's he save us to? Because if I'm saving my little pound puppy, I'm going to take him home, and I'm going to sleep with my pound puppy. My sister, used to, she's not here this morning. My sister, thank God she's not here. You can tell her I said that. She used, she used to make me play house. And her pound, I know, right? Like, I was in my room with G.I. Joe and, like, you know, Indiana Jones figures, and we were fighting, and I'm bored to come play house. So I had to go down the hallway and go in her room and play house. And it's amazing, like nighttime was like flipping the light switch. Okay, everybody go to bed. Okay, everybody wake up. I'm like, oh, that was the quickest night ever. And so, but she had all of her pound puppies that she was saving them to something. Now, where was she saving them to? Where's God saving us to if we are the pound puppies? 
The first thing that he's saving us to in Romans 5.1, the first thing he's saving us to is peace with God. You are at peace with God. Romans 5.1. Now let's not confuse peace with God. Don't confuse that with the peace of God. There's a difference. I can have peace with God, but not be flowing with the peace of God in my heart because I haven't learned how to flow with it. All right? I don't have time to dive into that. But he saves you to peace with God, Romans 5.1. Also, here's the good news. Part of the good news is that the second thing that he saves us to is that we're no longer enemies of God. He saves us to that point where we're no longer enemies of God. Romans 5.10, James 4.4, Romans 5.10, James 4.4. You're no longer an enemy of God. The Bible says that when we're doing our own thing and going our own way, we, whether you say, well, I didn't shake my fist at God and I didn't refuse to read the Bible and I didn't. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. That's it. You're either for me or you're against me. You don't have to be telling people the Bible's not real, God's not real. You can just go out and be like, yeah, God's out there somewhere and someday I'll get around to it. Jesus says, okay, well, you're not with me then. You're either for me or you're against me. You're on one side of that coin or the other. The other thing that he saves you to, and this was the part that I really had to work on, he saves you to a new way of thinking, a new way of processing your thoughts, a new way of feeling, a new way of emotions. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that he will renew your mind you begin to change the way you think. What you once used to watch, I can no longer watch. Okay? What I once thought was funny, I no longer think is funny. You say, well, that's just part of growing up. No, it's not, because I know people my age that are still watching that stuff, still think those things are funny, still doing some of the same stuff that are my age or even older than me. Right? He changes the way you think. He changes the way you feel. He changes your emotion. He changes everything about you. And Romans 12, 2 says that we can renew our thoughts. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, we can renew our thoughts. And then this, here's the beautiful thing. Not only does he save you, but he knows, okay, inherently you will never change. You don't have the power to change yourself. And this is the last point. You don't have the power to change yourself. And so he saves you to the power to live differently. He gives you power to live differently. Think about that. To look at your friends and go, no, that's not me anymore. I don't roll that way. I used to, but I don't. He's renewing my mind. He's changing me. I am saved. He saves you to a power so that you can live differently. John chapter 4, this will be our last verse. John chapter 4, verse 4. He says this. John, I'm sorry, 1 John. 1 John 4, 4, and there it is, so I can quit fumbling. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You, dear children... Okay, stop. Who's he talking to? He calls them children. So who's he talking to? He's talking to saints. He's talking to Christians. Are from God and have overcome them. Who's them? Now, this is getting a little tricky. He's not saying you've overcome your neighbor. He's not saying you're better than your neighbor. He's them, the demonic forces that try to plague your mind and tell you who you are or what you are or how to think or how to feel. Kristen, you can come on up. He says, you have overcome them, children. Children of God, you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. The two systems at play, right? The one who, who is in you then? Who did I say early on out of Hebrews chapter two? Who is in us? Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us and he is more powerful than any demonic force or even Satan himself. Do you realize that if Satan showed up in your living room tonight and said, let's go at it, you have more power than he does. But too many Christians are like, oh my gosh, I'm in fear of Satan, I'm in fear of the devil. Are you kidding me? Because the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And I don't care if he showed up in your room in the flesh. You have more power than him. Quit living in fear. Quit living in dread. Quit living in, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what the prince and the pouties of the air, what the demons say, or what they tell you. The one inside of you is greater. You need to tap into that source and begin to live like it. Amen. Yep. But too many of us live in fear. 
Too many of us spend too much time watching the news, wringing our hands. What's going to happen if this, doesn't matter what happens if. Listen, the Bible tells us what happens. I don't have to guess. I know what's going to happen. Right before it goes off the cliff, Jesus comes back with all of us, his saints, and he declares war on Satan. And there's a massive war called Armageddon. But here's the good news. You have your new body. You can't die. Wouldn't you like to go into a war where you can't die? And actually, the Bible says about Armageddon, it's over like that. Because the Bible says Jesus comes with a shout, declares his word, and annihilates every evil spirit immediately. So really, there's no war. It's just like, look, I'm tired of messing with this. Gone. We'll get into that later. But the one that's in you is greater than the one that's in the world. I've gone a long time this morning. But I want to close with this story. There was a pilot... He was, he was flying, and he heard, and he, he, he saw a tail in the plane, and then he heard scratching and biting, and he realized there was a rat on the plane with him. little four-seater plane. A lot of those four-seater planes, those little Cessnas or prop planes, a lot of the controls are by wire. They fly by wire. And he heard nibbling. And he realized, oh no. This rat is probably chewing on one of the control wires. What do you do? There's no place to land. But he realized something. Rats can only hold to a certain altitude. So he begins to climb. And he climbs until the air gets so thin that he stops hearing the noise and he hears nothing. And he brings the plane back down and he lands. And sure enough, the rat was chewing on the main wire for the controls. But the rat was dead now because it didn't have enough oxygen to live. And how did he save himself? He didn't save himself by going to earth. He saved himself by climbing to heaven. If you want to save yourself... You're going to have to take yourself and your thoughts and your body and your mind and climb towards Jesus. And he will begin to kill the things that are destroying your life. But it's not until you make the decision to climb closer to God that you'll be saved. Let's stand up. And if you're here this morning, and as we've talked about salvation and you want to give your life to Christ and say, I want changed. I want my life to be different. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be this way. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to do one of two things. You can either come down here and I'm going to pray with you. I want to help you begin to grow in your walk with Jesus. Or you can meet me out by the doors after service. But Kristen, let's, let's sing this out as, as we close this morning.